I'm Liz Hirschnoff-Tolley, and welcome to our podcast, Capital Coffee Connection. And the purpose of this podcast is to actually have conversations with incredible people who are our elected leaders, and to not talk with them about politics or policy, but to talk to them about humanity and the heart, and in many cases where they come from, their home. And our goal is to really give everybody out there an opportunity to really get to know these amazing characters. I was thinking about our guest, and I was remembering when I was a young mom, one of my favorite things after that kid left my body was to put that child in a baby carrier and to walk around with that child so close to me. And at that point, a lot of the husbands weren't doing that. It was really the wives that were carrying the babies. They carried them for nine months and then they carried them on. <laughs> yeah. But it was just one of those amazing experiences. And then I think of Congressman uh, Gomez and I think about that photo. And it wasn't just one time, because I know you've done it. It wasn't just for mm -hmm. that moment where he showed up to the House floor on the Capitol building with his child in a carrier. And the funny part is that we all saw that part, but the part I love about knowing him is that he also was with that child when he screamed. Yeah. And he was with that child when he pooped in his diaper. <laughs> yeah. And he took on those roles. And so it's kind of an interesting way to introduce our uh, guest, uh, Congressman Gomez. But the reason why I say it this way is because Jimmy is really a leader and really a dad. Yeah. And so thank you for being here. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. And I will say the following, because I like to tell people what district you're from. Yeah. So you are from the 34th district. Mm -hmm. You've been there since 2017. And you represent a pretty diverse section of LA. Yeah. So Chinatown, Koreatown, Little Tokyo, Downtown, Boyle Heights, Pico Union, Lincoln Heights, Eagle Rock, Highland Park, and for people that don't know it, you also are home to the L.A. Dodgers. Correct. Which I know that you're a huge <laughs> fan. So it, maybe yeah. that's why you became a congressperson, because of the Dodgers. But thank you for joining me uh, for coffee. Course. And welcome. Thank you. Our little shout out to Alfred's Coffee. I love it. So welcome. Thank you. And we're going to start back at the beginning of Jimmy time. Okay. Okay. So you were raised, born, raised in Southern California. Yeah. You have a, a story that I think a lot of folks in California share throughout the country where your parents were working class immigrants yeah. and your mom was a domestic worker mm -hmm. and she was a laundry attendant at a nursing home yeah. and your dad was a bracero, yeah. uh, which is a farm worker. Correct. So talk to us a little bit because I think what we're trying to do is for people to understand where people come from, what it was like to grow up in Southern California having parents that were immigrants and both the struggles and the beauties of that. And it's also not just uh, like being a son of immigrants, but it's also the time and place of being an immigrant. So my parents were came here in 1970, and my dad was a bracero originally during about 58 to 60 at the tail end okay. of the bracero program. And he moved home, met my mom, uh, got married and had four kids. And my oldest sister, I'm the youngest of six, so God bless you for having five. I, my mom had six and I was the youngest and the youngest can be a little rambunctious here and there. But um, so my parents, uh, my dad came back up to work in um, in Orange County okay. and my mom talked to him once and was like, he was gone for I don't know, almost a year and was like, hey, if you're gonna stay up there, bring up your, you have to bring up bring up your family, you have to bring us up. So they agreed that they would come up and then my mom came to Mexicali um, with my four siblings and waited to for a couple months until my dad 
had enough money to send for them. To bring them over. Yeah, to bring them over. Uh, they go down, and um, somebody knocks on the door, and um, my mom answers, and she basically says that it was two two friends of his, two women, who were um, from Orange County. Right. And they're like, oh, you're, we're so-and-so-and-so-and-so. Your husband, Carmelo, asked us to come and get you. And she's like, they're like, okay. And they looked at her, and she looked like she came straight from the Pueblo, right, the ranch, because right. she did, right? She, yes. um, My parents lived in a one-room adobe house with a thatched roof, and that's where the kids lived. So uh, my mom looked like she was uh, from like rural Mexico. Right. So they're like, okay, that's not going to work. And they like, they brought her clothes. This was the, the 1970s. They painted her, you put makeup on her, right. put made her hair look bigger. And they said, you have 45 minutes to learn how to say, I am an American citizen. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, so they, they pile the kids in the car. And this is back then where you can put five people in the back no seat. Seat No seatbelts. Yeah. And um, they got to the border crossing and the two ladies from the states were uh, flirted with the the border guard, and, and they said, "Oh, what are you doing? Oh, we just came to buy some stuff for the kids." And they're like, "Okay, all right, go ahead." And that's how wow. th- that's the story of my parents coming to, yeah. uh, or my mom and my four siblings. And then they got to Orange County, and they lived in a I wouldn't say it was abandoned house, but they called it the house of cobwebs because it was like it was just not a good condition. Uh, the house was not a good condition. My dad was working at a as a cook at a restaurant, yeah. And then uh, my mom got here, and then my brother and I. She got pregnant with my brother Javier, um, and he was he was born, and then she got pregnant with me, and then I was born. So we're born in Orange County, got it. and um, my mom was just finding any job she she could find, everything from being somebody's driver to um, working in a, a fa- uh, uh, you know, an assembly plant. See, whatever she can find, she took yeah. those jobs. And then, you know, this was about four years later in 1978. I was born in 74. They, um, somebody, a developer bought up the homes, the block, to turn it into a strip mall. And so my parents were going to lose the, the house that they're renting, but they saved up enough. My parents finally became residents and they decided to buy a house, but they couldn't afford a house in Orange County, so they moved to Riverside, and that's where they, how we ended up in in, in Riverside. Riverside. So I was the the youngest of kids. There's not like when you're the uh, the youngest of six kids. When you're the youngest back then, there's not many photos of me. Maybe like at one, at one point I actually thought I was adopted because I was like, <laughs> is there any photos of me when I was right. a baby, or it was like I was found right, in right. a? The first one got a lot of photos. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's like they had more photos in Mexico when they had less money than they did with <laughs> me. But yeah, so my parents were just like any other uh, immigrant family. They tried mm-hmm. to come here, build a life for yeah. for their their kids, and. I was always very aware of what that was like because I yeah. like I would, early on as a young person I would go back and visit my family in Mexico and I, I can visualize what would my life be like if I, we've stayed. Yeah. So I was very aware of how privileged I was. That you had this opportunity to come to this country. Yeah, that my parents had this opportunity. Yes. And oh, that, that you were born here. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and when I was in Riverside, though, Riverside in the 1980s was – 1970s, 80s, all Republican. It was mostly white. It wasn't very Latino just yet um, or mixed uh, yeah. population. So it was a very different place to grow up. Yeah. And that's where, like, I try to tell people my parents were, it's a time and place. Right? It's not just we're, we're the children of immigrants because I know the children of immigrants now, they have a different experience, experience because the, the laws were different. So did you go to school with a lot of white kids that were Republicans? 
I think so. And um, but this was the 80s. I remember people asked me, like, we learned, like, this is a Reagan era. So we learned a lot about the songs that would have us sing, like, were just strange. This was like Over There by G- George M. Cohan, you know, like, over there, over there. Yeah. <laughs> the Yanks are coming, right? We would sing those songs. Which is not exactly typical, like, little kid songs. Oh, no, not yeah. little typical little, like, so it was very patriotic. This was the 80s. And I, yeah. and, and I felt privileged to be an American. Yeah. And, but I also was like, why are, why are my parents working so many jobs to barely make it. To barely make it. And then, so a lot of things happened growing up that kind of were, were like, I, I bought the American dream hook, line, and sinker. Like, yes. I, I, like I'm, all, I'm all in, but then also witness how much my parents struggled. Um, and one of the main things that happened was when we ended up, um, when I got pneumonia when I was about seven years old. This was, uh, and I ended up going to the hospital, and my, my parents, my sister was really concerned. I still remember it, where um, the, the doctor came out and said I had pneumonia, and she started crying because she thought I was like, back then, pneumonia was uh, very serious. I ended up spending a week in the hospital, and my parents mixed shifts from work. That almost bankrupted my family. So I was very aware that we had opportunities, very aware that we're yeah. immigrants, but at the same time, very aware that there was flaws yeah right so that so my parents were tough too i mean they're not like this they is, had to be tough to do what they did and to make it in this country and yeah exactly the they did with six children exactly so but i was very aware so the growing up as this the kid of immigrants especially during the 80s you kind of you, you stick out there's a photo of me with my fifth grade class if i remember correctly and we were visiting this monument to Lincoln in Redlands. Yeah. And there's a photo of us and it was all, all these kids that didn't look like me. So right. I, so yeah. it, it was, um, but I didn't know that either. Right. Like I just felt that I was like any other right. kid in the neighborhood. Did you have a teacher, someone in high school that sort of stood out as like kind of helping you thinking things through or at least inspiring you? Hey, let, can I mention one thing about how I grew up? Yeah, you can keep going. Yeah. So, my neighborhood was, so I grew up in Riverside. Right. And by the time I got there, it was mostly white, but it was transitioning. And there was a one point where my, my neighborhood was extremely diverse. And like when I mean diverse, just one block with the cul-de-sac on the end. Across the street, we had a family that was of Hawaiian and Japanese descent. Right. Somebody right next door was Protestant. Somebody across was Irish Catholic. We had a Native American family down the block, a black family, a Puerto Rican family, all on one block. Yeah. And it was just this kind of like unique neighborhood to grow up in where, where like, like you look around. The kids all played together on the street? Oh, yeah. We, yeah. we played tackle, well, tag, we were supposed to play tag football, but tackle <laughs> football, we rode our bikes together, we just hung out. And that was kind of the environment I grew up in, it's right? Special. Yeah, very special, very unique, where um, it was extremely diverse for where we lived at that moment right. in Riverside. Um, and and we even had we were very aware. We had Jehovah Witnesses. We had like yeah. like we had it all. And it, and it, uh, but it gave me an appreciation of the diversity and just kind yes. of the uniqueness. So um, that's the way I kind of grew up within a a multiracial, multi-ethnic, yeah. multi-religious uh, neighborhood. Yeah. And people got along. I and, like pe- it. And, and But we all were all working class 
individuals struggling to get by. Because at the end of the day, it goes back to what I said, we have so much more in common than what separates us. And what you can do is count, you can talk about what separated you all, yeah. but it actually was something that in, enriched the experience as opposed to causing people to not be respecting and, and enjoying each other. Exactly. And, yeah. And so you asked, you asked a question about high school. Yeah, if you had a teacher or or somebody when you were a high school student that inspired you or gave you extra um, support. <laughs> well, to put it in context, I was never I was the I was a kid that was never going to be voted most likely to succeed in high school <laughs> at all, <laughs> at all. To to an extent where where I was, uh, if I remember correctly, at least suspended a couple of times. Right, so all I right. was a I was a uh, like got to learn the hard way. Yeah, I learned the hard way, and. Um, but some teachers saw potential, potential, and some te- I learned um, from different teachers different things. Yeah. One teacher, uh, Miss Spear, she kept on giving me uh, D's or uh, on on assignments I would turn in, and and uh, I asked why, and she said, Jimmy, you have to write in pen, not pencil, and and I was like, you're real, like the content is correct. She's all, you're not following the. The instructions. I think this was my senior year, yeah. and she's like, "You follow the rules, you're gonna get by a lot easier yes. in life." So she taught me that lesson. And then um, there was another uh, professor, Mr. Uh, Ziner, and he was the the professor of U.S. government, and we would we would discuss politics, government, and I was all in. I had like I was really took the class seriously. We ta- you know and 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 just had discussions, and then he he did say something once. We had to do a collage of like our background, like, and we had a uh, on a whiteboard, and we didn't have enough magazines at home, so for me to fill out the collage, so it was a lot of white space. And he's like, Jimmy, you have a lot of white space. So when I went up presenting my 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 board, I said, the white space represents the life I haven't lived yet. Oh, <laughs> good thinking. I like and, that. And he comes up, he announces, uh, this is one of the things that all you kids have to learn, to how to uh, how, how to um, pivot and how to uh, be creative. He said, uh, Jimmy is probably going to go into politics. <laughs> ah, that's good. I was going to say, that sounds like, yeah, that was your uh, launching moment. Um, okay, so I'm going to jump then because yeah. I, I really want to also, and I, and I also want to say that, like, you also had a nice trajectory because you went from... Riverside Community College, then you went to UCLA, yeah. and then you ended up at Harvard in the Kennedy School of Government. Yeah. So it, it's possible. You know, you don't necessarily have to be hugely and highly successful, but no. he knew. Yeah. That teacher knew when you were on your way that, yeah. that this was where you would end up. Or could have gone in multiple ways. But I, but it went this way. Yeah, it did go this way. And no, it was a good trajectory, but people asked me like, oh, where, you started off at a community college? And I said, no, I, technically I started off at Target and Subway. Because I was... Yeah. <laughs> Because I wasn't going to go, I wasn't planning on on going to college. And I was like, I had a vague notion of what that would be like. But I had no sibling. I didn't have one, not one of my siblings went to college at right. that moment. But working at Target and Subway was a motivator to go to college. Oh, yeah. yeah. Working at Subway and Target was a big motivator. Because yeah. I, I graduated from high school with no plans. I have zero insurance. Um, my knee was swollen because of like I helped push a car from the side of the road. I was helping somebody. And I couldn't get it fixed. So um, I ended up, um, you know, icing it for about a, a month, trying yeah. to, like, re- do it all on my own. And my mom says, oh, you have to go find a job. So I looked for a job 
all over. This is 1993. We're still in a recession, coming out of a recession. Most people forget yes, that. Yes, no, I remember. And um, and I the job that I could get was a, my friend got me a job at Subway, and and the, and it was just a, it was just a job that I got because of him. That was it. And it's somebody that I've known for since I was seven seven years old. And then I got another job at Target, stocking. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to find other jobs, so I should do both of them at the same time. So I was working um, at Subway 5:30, like 5 to 10.30 at night, and then midnight to 9 in the morning I worked at, at Target. And so I didn't work 9 to 5. I worked from 5 in the afternoon one day to 9 the next day. Yeah. And that was the motivator. It was, like, it was the best education to go uh, and get a different education. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But when you don't have anybody to show you, oh, you should go to community college, you should do this, you, you kind of wander and you, yeah. you waste time. My friend Kevin, who got me the job, ended up going, hey, you should go to a community college. And so he took me, filled out the application for me. All, nice. all I did was put my Social Security number down and, and signed it. Took one class and decided to go full time, and it. the rest is kind of history. Yeah. So, but, and that was originally a biochem major. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to give back to people who didn't have health insurance. Well, in a way, you are doing that, but not through medical world. Exactly, and and you, that's a great point because I end up getting into the honor society at the community college. My transformative moment was at the community college, where it really kind of took me in a whole different direction. I was taking my classes, starting from the ground, like from the bottom up. Yeah, yeah. Because I didn't, like I, like I said, I you didn't You did not do, qualify to go in at a higher level. No, at all. So basic English, basic uh, math, started building my, my um, education, and I got into the Honor Society, and then I went to a, work sh- uh, a conference in uh, Monterey, first time I was on, in a plane, and it just happened. The only reason I went was because somebody dropped out. All right. See. And then I went and the I went to a workshop on political activism. And the only reason I went to that workshop is because there was a girl I liked. <laughs> okay, but that's a perfect trajectory. I get it. I'm going to I'm going to no. jump now. Yeah, go for it. From the girl that was inspiring yeah. you to become a political activist and then you also are well known for your organizing. Yes. And I just think organizing is a huge piece. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle yeah. because could you just and keep it like brief in yeah. the sense that like what does organizing really mean and how to how as how, how does organizing actually affect change? Well, that's the, that's the first time I learned about organizing was at that retreat. Right. And it was about an organizer who said talked about how one person can change things, but he said, but if people work together, you can get more done. That's, so well, yeah. That all of a sudden clicked in my head. Yeah. And then I decided, you know what? I don't want to. I'm gonna run for president honor society. I end up winning. And a friend of mine I beat, who became my friend, said, you know, you can fight for health care as an elected office or as a union organizer. You don't have to be a doctor. And that's what I started going. Mm, comes ah. all around. Yeah, it come, came around to saying like, oh, okay, I get this. So I started, like I decided that at that point I was going to go into government, organizing politics. Because politics, when you're organizing people, it just uh, – Getting them to realize that they 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 have the same struggles, the same problems, um, and that they don't have to solve it all on their own. And stronger together. Yeah, stronger together. And you and you do what you can. Yeah. So you don't expect everybody to be the number one organizer. You expect them to do what they yes. can. Yeah. And when you have that mentality, then you can move move mountains because it's it's. Uh, it's bringing everybody to the table, yeah. and that. So I learned, got to go into working for labor unions, 
um, nurses, uh, public sector workers, and got to see it firsthand. People come with different um, abilities, different needs, different obstacles and challenges. But if you respect everybody for what they can bring right, and then include them in what you're doing, then you get uh, bigger and better results. Yeah, it makes good sense. All right, now we're going to skip. Okay. Your dad. Yes. I talked about it in the beginning. <laughs> uh, your son, Hodge, he's about a year. He's going to be a year on the 18th. Where does the name Hodge come from? I um, named Hodge after my wife, Mary. Her name is Mary Hodge. She never okay. took my name. I got it. I always liked the way it sounded. And also, it's a great name. It's a great name. And also, we uh, women risk their lives giving birth, not men. And I, and and in Latin American countries, the, the women's last name is always included. Yes. And so I wanted to honor. include it and, and, and honor her, but also the fact that... Uh, that he is also a Hodge as much as he is a Gomez. Absolutely. So, Jimmy, how is it to be a dad? I, I commented about you with the carrier, but it's a lot of work. And I, I know that you and Mary are partners in this. Yeah. It's not like she does the baby raising and you come back and yeah. look good. You're really partners. And how, how is that going and how does that work, especially with a very busy schedule? And she has a busy schedule. Uh, She's a woman that's powerful yeah. and career, you know, yeah. and successful. Uh, she's taking time r- off right now, but yeah, she was the deputy mayor and deputy chief of staff to Mary Garcetti. So she's yeah. um, when we agreed to have Hodge, it's like we've been married for ten years, and we agreed to decide to try to start a family. But after that, I said, yeah, I will be all in. Not you're not going to be just the one taking care yeah. of him. And that means when you're tired, when you're like I fly to D.C., fly back, even if I land at you know one o'clock in the morning, get home at two, which is really five a.m. East Coast time, that's still my night. Right. If he gets up, I have to take You're care of duty. him. You're on duty. I'm on duty. Yeah. If he wakes, uh, he's uh, needs to be changed. I'm gonna change him, and it was just uh, as a as the right thing to do. Right. Is it's the fair thing to do, and honestly, it's been the best thing I've ever I've ever done. I there's, can imagine. There's nothing greater, and I think that um, nowadays we are seeing studies that men are spending more time raising their kids yes still not 50 50 of course and they and we need to do more but that's but you're an example and i hope that other people when they saw that and uh, when they see it and they hear the story it actually motivates more men to realize like hey and it's fun and it's the best thing for a child a uh, child needs to have both parents uh, as part of their experience uh, and it's amazing i mean like honestly it's fun yeah um you build a bond with your baby as much as anybody else does and and it honestly has been transformative and now you, i also know you have a dog a dog, yeah, Austin. Austin. Yes. Now, how does Austin deal with Hodge? Like, do they get along? <laughs> Austin is because I think Austin was your child. He was, but my your w- only child. I should my say. wife is the one who uh, rescued uh, Austin, and he's sixteen, so he's an old dog. And Hodge is kind of at first, he just Austin just looked at Hodge like, "What? Who, who is this?" And Hodge will try now tries to grab him every time he gets. But uh, Austin's a little jealous because every time we go like feed Hodge like in his high chair and put out food. If we don't take Austin outside, he pees right on the high chair. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fun. Yeah, Austin lets you know. And, but, and let me tell me this. And Mary, yeah. obviously, she's very supportive of what you do. Yeah. And you couldn't do it without her support. Of, of course not. She's been great. Um, but it's tough. You know, it's uh, most people think, oh, you have a kid, you bounce back. No, there's first that, that fourth trimester is real. Um, people, you know, you're kind of uh, women are often in a kind of a fog. Um, not everybody, but some. It's hard time. Um, it's a hard time, and um, we were fortunate that my mom was there. 
we were fortunate that um, we had some help in the evening. So we we're, we're fortunate. Um, but it but it is hard. And she's like still dealing with back issues. She had postpartum preeclampsia, which is could've, she could have died, yeah, could have stroked out. So she is uh, now at home taking some uh, time off. But um, she's uh, looking to get back into to the into the fight. So okay. I'm going to switch now yep. to asking some quick questions just for people to get to know you yeah. on a little bit lighter okay. level. Favorite meal? Breakfast burrito. Breakfast burrito. <laughs> is there a place that you like the breakfast burrito? Uh, there are a lot of different. Uh, I can't even remember their names, but there's one in uh, Unincorporated East LA. It's called. It's been ranked as one of the best br- breakfast burrito places. There's okay. one in uh, Atwater Village, and then there's a little mom and pop shop in Highland Park called Delia's that I go in, and it's cheap, seven bucks breakfast burrito. It I hits love it. the spot. Okay, cool. Yeah. Favorite music? What is your favorite music? <laughs> I would say uh, music. I listen to a lot of musicals. True story. I love I, musicals. When I grew- What's your favorite musical? Well, I was in West Side Story in high school, so I wouldn't say West Side Story. Hamilton is also up there. Um, Avita is also up there. I like. I guess I like stories of the of the underdog that do big things. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. There might be something in that, <laughs> you know. They may write a musical on your story at some point. If you have time and you're, you know, a hobby, what would you do that would just be for yourself, whether it's creative or sports, just that is important to you to have? I started learning how to play the piano during the, the pandemic. Ah. And, I, and I thought I couldn't, I had no musical ability. And I started watching videos and started teaching myself. And, and the reason why I started doing that is because I watched Eric Garcetti's little girl who's adopted come in and start playing a piano just brilliantly and I was thinking you know is it nurture as a nature right is it uh, like he she was had the opportunity to learn but they had no idea that she had any ability so I um, started learning how to b- play the piano during the pandemic inspired by Eric Garcetti's adopted do- daughter little girl and um, I just haven't had the time to really stick with it. But you like it. Oh, I like it because it, it really does open up. It, 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 I would get tired afterwards. I'm like, oh, I need to take a nap after I would practice. Um, but it really shows that you're not limited by by na- na- natural abilities. You can learn. Anybody can learn Anyone anything. Anyone can learn. Yeah. And also I've learned, you know, if you're happy doing it, it's not really what you're producing. It's the experience and the enjoyment of the process. Yeah, that's true as well. You know? Okay, this is another one about enjoyment. Favorite household chore? Cleaning the walls. I don't like smudges on walls. Okay. Um, So use that white. Yeah, just kind of like you sponge, you you see it. I like to see where things are, once they're dirty, they're clean. Okay. But if you ask me to like put away the the dishes, I hate that, even if they're clean. (laughs) If you ask me to do the laundry, eh, not, not my thing. I rather it's funny. I rather clean the toilets than they. I rather than put away dishes. So or put dishes. Yeah, we in will the dish. just quote you on that. One. Okay. <laughs> okay. Can. I love it. I love it. Okay. Now we're gonna switch to this thing called Kiss Mary Kill, but I do Kiss Mary Trash. It's a game. Okay. And you, I will give you three things, and you get to rank them as Kiss Mary or Trash. Okay. So. What you would kiss, what you would marry. Obviously, marry takes preference over kiss, and then trash is like, that's the third, okay? Okay. <laughs> so they're kind of easy ones, but I think they're fun. I think they tell a lot about somebody. Okay. Wink, wink. Um, the first one is seasons. Summer, spring, winter. Trash summer. Okay. I hate being hot. I grew up without air conditioning. Yeah. And in Riverside. I got you. It was <laughs> so, hot back then, yeah, too. Yeah, so I'm not a big fan of summers. Kiss... 
love um, the falls. Okay. I like I love fall weather. Okay. So you're trashing Ma- no, the I'll, summer. I trash the summer. Marry the fall. Okay. Um, kiss, kiss the, the winter. winter. Good. Relaxing. Netflix, reading, meditating. Walking or hike or hiking. You're relaxing. <laughs> oh, that's what you do for uh, relaxing is yeah, hiking. Yeah, I like running. Like exercising helps me relax. Okay. And it helps clear the mind. So none of what I've put are there. What did you put? Reading, reading. (laughs) Netflix, reading, or meditating. You can pass. You can take the fifth. We can move on. Meditating, I fall asleep. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be out cold. Netflix, Uh, when there's something good to watch. Okay. (sighs) So we're going to just put you as the hiker, the runner, the hiker. Okay. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Breakfast. That's your favorite? Yeah, anytime. So you're going to marry breakfast? Marry breakfast. Kill lunch, kiss dinner. Okay. Movies. Comedy, romantic, thriller. Musicals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Comedy, I guess. Thrillers. Now trash the thrillers. Trash the thrillers. And what was the other one? Romantic. Romantic. Oh, yeah. You kiss it. It's metaphorical. Yeah, kiss, kiss it. Romantic. Mary, yeah. yeah. Pastas. Fusilli, the, the one that looks like this. Okay. Panne or spaghetti. I don't like pasta very much. Oh my God, you're you're you are not good at this game. You're a deviant, but I think you're great. Okay, I'm gonna have the last one. I think I know the answer. Okay. Basketball, baseball, football. Mary, um, baseball. Okay. Trash. Basketball. And you kiss football. Yeah, but I've always said that politics is actually my sport. Oh, what a good answer. Okay. On that one, we're going to go to the last question, which I think you've kind of mentioned it already. But my last question that I asked everybody is joy. What what brings you joy? What does joy mean to you? And what, if you feel joy, do you feel that you can share with others because you are joyful or you live a joyful life? I guess joy for me is... um, just appreciating um, what you have. Yeah. Um, and it, it sounds strange because I grew up with very little. And as I got older, I just realized that um, my joy comes from just having free time, hanging out with, um, you know, Hodge. Like, Hodge has trans- changed everything. Yeah. I, like, I, I think if you're a parent, you understand that. Like, you know, your kids are your end-all, be-all in the end. Um, and um, but in the end is um, my joy comes from spending time and doing things for the people I care about. And then also laughing at yourself, laughing at the, uh, all the silly moments, not taking yourself too seriously. And that's because I, you know, I was the one that was not supposed to succeed. Right. And now I'm in this position. So for me, joy really is enjoying people's company. Yeah. Hanging out laughing at things and laughing at yourself. So it's um, that's what I consider joy. I love that. Well, thank you. Yep. And thank you for coming here today. And thank you for sharing a really a very beautiful story. And I love the way you tell your story. And, um, you know, you talk about coming from a family with very little, but you had a lot. Yeah. And you probably had a lot of joy and a lot of love. And, and that's why you're who you are today. Uh-huh. Your parents, they did a good job. Your, and your older siblings did a good job yeah, helping I was, to I was, raise you. Exactly. My siblings did a great job helping to raise me, and I learned a lot. But, yeah, and, and it's interesting. You mentioned that joy and parents, and, um, yeah, we didn't have a lot. And I was telling somebody from early on, being young, I always felt I was meant to do something, but had no resources. Yes. And I told that 
to somebody. I said, and she said, Jimmy, you're loved. You're loved. Yeah. And Jimmy, just, you are loved. Yeah. And it just clicked. Yeah. Like, and, and I realized that when, with my son Hodge, that if we put in love to my son, then he can do anything. Right. And that's what I think we all need to do with our, our, our kids and people who are not even our uh, kids. We got to show them uh, affection and caring and, and support. And we will end on that. Thank you so much. Of course. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hi, it's Liz. Please join me every Tuesday for coffee to talk about heart and humanity with our elected leaders. Ciao.